you've come to the right place if you're looking to create, launch, and scale a high-value online training program. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, the most powerful learning management system for WordPress. Stay to the end. I've got something special for you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by a special guest. His name is Frank Kane. He's a prolific course creator. You can find him on Udemy. You can also find him on his website, which is sundog-education. Just do a Google search for Sundog Education. Uh, welcome to the show, Frank. Hey, thanks for having me. I love interviewing um, education entrepreneurs like yourself. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to, you know, found out that you use our tool, Lifter LMS. I want to ask you first, before we get into your story, um, just to kind of set, well, actually kind of at where you are today. I was looking at this, the stats on Udemy. You had something like 500,000 students or something like that. Yeah, it's uh, over 600,000 now, last I checked. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, just on that one platform. Give us some, give us some numbers just like for Udemy, like, uh, or, or just your 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 uh, empire, like six hundred thousand students. How many courses? How many years doing it? Just throw, give us some data. Yeah, I mean, uh, started doing this in like twenty thirteen, so it's been a while. You know, it's been a long a long road, as they say. Um, but today, I've got depends how you count it. I would say like fifteen courses because there's a bunch of like localizations of different courses and stuff that are technically their own course. Uh, but yeah, it's really grown over time. I mean, when I started off, my first course was making like a hundred bucks a month. Uh, but today it's more like 40,000 a month in revenue. So uh, all told, like we said, 600,000 students around the world just on Udemy and uh, about 2.7 million total revenue from that platform alone. Wow. That's mind blowing. Um, what's the, what's the uh, genesis of you, the course creator? Yeah, I just kind of was in the right place at the right time. You know, that's uh, kind of a common theme, I think, with people who end up, you know, getting lucky with something. Um, so, yeah, if you want to go, there's no like short attention span version of the story, I'm afraid. So give me, give me okay. a couple of minutes. <laughs> Dude, this is, a, this is a, a longer form podcast. Go for it. Awesome. Yeah. So where do I start? I mean, I was actually a senior manager at Amazon.com in Seattle uh, about 10 years ago, actually. And, you know, I clawed my way up the corporate ladder there and did that, that whole corporate thing. And uh, you know, it was rough, you know, it's, it's a challenging environment it still is, but what really got to us over time was the weather. So eventually we decided I can't take the, the Seattle weather anymore. Um, and I think you're, you came from Alaska. I think you said, so you, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? You know, this is like two months where it's nice there. Um, so we packed up my family and decided to move to Florida. And at the time, Amazon had these tax nexus issues where they could not have employees outside of Seattle, basically. So that meant that I had to leave Amazon. Uh, so I'm like, well, what do I do? Do I get a real job again? Or do I try to strike out on my own and be an entrepreneur? And I, well, now's this time as good as any to give it a shot, right? Uh, so I started off doing some freelance work and, you know, doing some programming and stuff on the side, things like that. Wasn't a lot of fun because, you know, you're still basically trading your time for money and trading one set of bosses for a different set of bosses at the end of the day. Uh, but one of those gigs was actually doing curriculum development for a company in New York City. Uh, General Assembly was what they were called. And one thing led to another. So we put out a data science course on General Assembly where I was like making the content for that behind the scenes. And somehow Udemy uh, found that and they were trying to find people to come onto their platform to teach uh, big data topics and data processing. 
so they reached out to me. They like literally just cold called me one day and said, Hey, where are you to me? I never heard of them at that point. It's a long time ago. Uh, you know, we're looking for people to create courses on uh, big data stuff. Uh, would you give it a try? So I'm like, why not? How hard can it be? <laughs> right. turns out it's pretty hard to make a course, uh, especially on technical topics like that. Uh, so like I said, I, I gave it a shot and that first course uh, did not do well. It was, it was making a hundred, 200 bucks a month at first, uh, but I didn't give up. So I said, okay, well, I put that much time into creating this course. Maybe if I push it a little bit more, it'll, it'll get some legs. Uh, so I created a second course and I went back to Udemy and said, give me some advice on creating the right topic and like creating the sorts of courses that resonate with your audience. And I did all that. Uh, so I was able to promote that second course to the students of my first course. And it did much, much, much better. And I made a third course and promoted that to the students of my first and second course. And you just kind of building on that like compound interest over time till you get to where I'm at right now. That's awesome. And what do you, what do you think? I remember I'm not old school. I might've even been on Udemy before you, but I had like a little cooking class that I did yeah. about making the perfect omelet. Uh, it was a while ago. I think that was 2012 or 13. I'm not sure when you said you started. I think it was 2013. Okay. 2013. You might've beat me. I definitely didn't get recruited, but I put it on there and uh, I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And, you know, I didn't really try really hard to market it. It wasn't that serious. But I was fascinated with Udemy, like at the time, and probably still one of the top performing courses was the course about how to use Excel, right? Yeah. So, so there's like product, I saw like the millions of students or whatever it was, and there's obviously like product market fit. What, mm -hmm. what is it about the big data niche that other people could learn from? Is this like helping people get high paying jobs or like, why does this niche really work for online courses on Udemy and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I think it's specific to Udemy. You know, different platforms have kind of what they specialize in. So Skillshare, for example, they're more on lifestyle things. You know, a cooking class would do well there, for example. Uh, Udemy tends to focus more on business-related topics and technical topics. So they have a big audience in places like India, where people are really trying to learn technical skills so they can get an awesome job and make more money. Uh, so that's kind of the, the demographic that I'm reaching there. So topic selection is just hugely important and understand the audience of the platform that you're on. It's uh, the real key to success. You know, now that you say that I did put a, a free course on um, Udemy about Lifter LMS, like in WordPress. And it was, it got a ton of users. Like it was like, it was in the tens of thousands. I don't know. It got up pretty high, especially because it was free. Yeah, I even helps. hired a, I, I hired a developer later who, was like who met me through that course and I'm not even a real developer. I'm more of a power user. And uh, just the, the exposure of Udemy was really cool. What else do you like about Udemy? Uh, they're good people. You know, I mean, you know, being one of their top instructors, I get to talk to a lot of the people behind the scenes at every level. Yeah. And something that impresses me with Udemy is just the quality of the, the employees there. They're all nice people. They all really have the, the best interest of the students at heart and of the instructors. So they're always looking for these win-win situations where everybody ends up benefiting from what they're doing. And, you know, these days that's kind of hard to find in companies. It's a stark contrast to some of the other platforms out there. So they're just good to work with. One of the things I appreciated about them too was uh, I, they I actually, they took one of my courses down because I wasn't keeping it updated or mm -hmm. something. And it, they're, they're actually kind of protecting the quality or the current, the current relevancy and, you know, they wanted to standardize all the graphics at one point. I remember that like they, 
Like, right. how do you how do you make a, a learning platform that doesn't become like a free for all? They seem to strike that balance. Yeah, it's it's delicate, right? I mean, they they have a huge job in front of them for like policy enforcement. So they have this open platform where basically anybody can submit a course on anything. And there's no standards on how you teach or what your graphic design style needs to be. There are other platforms that are like that. And as a result, they're not very responsive to changing trends in, in the world. Uh, but that's another thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing with Udemy though, is that they, they have, they're like this two headed beast, you know, they have the open marketplace where everybody can submit their own courses. And then they have Udemy for business, which is their curated selection of the best of the best courses that are aimed at business users. Um, and that is where they're much more picky, right? So they actually have human beings looking at individual courses and saying, Hey, this is a good one. Uh, this one has good production quality. This is a topic that our customers need. Let's promote that. And, uh, that's close to half of their business these days. So that's really growing for them. I remember a ways back, they, they enforced some like pricing controls in terms of how much you could charge and stuff like that. So, right. and some people took issue with that. Um, some people completely fine with it. And then there's all the bundling and stuff like that. But um, particularly around the pricing issue, what are your thoughts on courses and pricing and uh, obviously you've moved a lot. And I think Udemy's cap is $50 a course. I could be wrong there. But is there, what's your pricing on that platform? Uh, generally, I price the list prices around between $25 and $50, depending yeah. on the length of the course and, uh, you know, how much competition there is. Um, do you ever feel thing- like, do you ever feel like that, that, you know, a lot of people talk about like high, you know, uh, high ticket courses and all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're delivering incredible value helping people get great jobs and everything but what are your thoughts around that lower end of the price market for courses yeah i mean it's not great right i mean um i would much rather sell you know 100 200 courses than you know two thousand five dollar courses or whatever it works out to right um but that's the whole way udemy works it's all about volume there right so they're constantly running sales uh people in india for example are getting these courses for the equivalent of like four dollars and 99 cents uh, so if you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers, the math works out, but you still have to support those customers, right? So, you know, if you get someone where you only made 80 cents from the transaction after everyone takes their cut, I mean, India taxes get taken out, uh, platform fees come out, Udemy takes their cut. Uh, so at the end of the day, you might have a student who's asking you a whole lot of questions in exchange for 80 cents. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not cool. And that's part of the reason why I built my own site using Lifter LMS, because there I have complete control over pricing or what coupons I can issue or can't issue. Uh, so if the day comes where Udemy is not paying the bills for whatever reason, maybe they decide they don't like me anymore and kick me off the platform, I've got that sitting there ready to go where I can offer higher ticket items and you know, maybe offer more add-ons like you know office hours and things like that, or more direct communication with me as an instructor, which I just can't do at the price points of Udemy. Tell us more about just the decision to to build a WordPress LMS site yourself, and uh, you know what what spurred it on, and then why, you know, what's your long term goal for it? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was looking to launch my own site, you know, I looked at all the you know plug and play options out there, Teachable and whatnot. I'm like, well, you don't really have a lot of control over it there, right? And hey, I used to make websites at Amazon.com. I, I think I know what I'm doing. Right? <laughs> yeah. So how hard can it be, right? Uh, so I figured, you know, I, I was using WordPress for my blog already anyway. I was familiar with the, the whole technology stack. Started doing some research on different uh, plugins for LMS solutions on WordPress and found you guys. Uh, 
Um, and yeah, like within, I think two days I had my first course up and running on the platform. So it worked out well. Uh, but like I said, the long-term goal is mostly a hedge. Um, I want to be able to have something ready to go in the, in the event that disaster strikes. So for example, uh, we mentioned Skillshare earlier. They came that close to kicking me off the platform at one point Why? Uh, due to some minor policy violation. Oh. It was because, um, I remember, oh yeah, I remember what it was. Uh, at one point they, they were giving me some advice to promote something, my own website, I think at some point at the end of the course. And I did that. But the way I did it was that I copied and pasted the, the same video across all of my courses saying, hey, come visit me at sundogeducation.com. And apparently mm-hmm. reusing videos on different courses is against the rules there. So oh. that close to getting booted because of that. But uh, you know, fortunately, they gave me a chance to correct that and, and keep me on the platform for most of my courses. But that sort of thing can happen with Udemy or any other platform too, where you don't control it. You know, So I want to make sure that I have a platform of my own where I have complete control over what's going on just in case some outside thing happens that um, I need to react to. That's cool. You've, you've been a course creator for like a decade. It's your job, as you say. Um, how, how do you approach your job, like in terms of uh, content creation time, instructional design time? Do you do a bunch of marketing or not worry about that since you're more kind of in Udemy's flow? Like what's, what is the job like for a pro 10 years in? I mean, it's, it's all about trying to figure out what the best use of your time is and trying to focus on that as much as possible, which means outsourcing all the other stuff. I mean, it's a very common reframe with any business owner, right? You got to focus on what you're best at and what you're most irreplaceable at. So for me, you know, being in front of the camera, you know, being in front of the microphone, delivering this content, that's what's important. That's what my students are paying for. So that's what I try to spend most of my time doing is creating new content right now. I'm just like, going to town, trying to update one of my technical courses to the latest version of that technology. And that's what I'm doing 40 hours a week right now. Uh, The other stuff's important too, though. So uh, developing the actual like coding exercises and things like that, I might uh, farm that out to somebody on Upwork, you know, just to save me some time because that's not something that I'm uniquely qualified to do. Uh, Marketing, I hire assistants to help with that as well. So, you know, keeping regular uh, updates on social media, sending out our newsletters, sending out our promotional announcements, things like that. Someone else handles all that. And I also have a couple of people who are kind of the first line of defense for answering questions from students. So, you know, when I get 10,000 questions that I'll say, where do I download the course materials from? Someone else deals with that instead of me. So yeah, it's all about, you know, focusing on what you have to do and outsourcing the rest. On technical topics for courses, how do you have to spend a lot of time updating? Like, is it like, what words of wisdom do you have for somebody who teaches on like a technical topic or something that's going to go out of date and it has yeah. a shelf life? Yeah. I'm trying to get away from that quite honestly. Um, yeah. The worst ones are the IT certification courses. So you have these worlds where they have a new certification exam every six months, a new version of the exam, and you got to scramble to make sure that you've a taken the exam yourself and know what's on it and turn around and create all the content you need to get that out before the next iteration comes out, right? So um, with the number of courses I have, which aren't that many, you know, like I said, 10 or 15, uh, that's almost a full-time job in and of itself, just keeping those courses up to date. So you, you wanna pick your battles there, right? I mean, IT certification courses can be very lucrative, but they do require a lot of ongoing maintenance. So there's a trade-off there. Uh, these days I'm trying to focus more on evergreen topics. So. My most successful course right now, which is kind of a surprise to me, is one about interview tips. You know, how can I get through a system design interview at a big technical employer? 
And that has just gone gangbusters. And it's beautiful because I'll never have to upgrade it, you know, update it for years and years and years from now. Um, so I'm trying to do more stuff like that. You know, the next one I'm going to do is like, how do you manage the transition from becoming an engineer to a technical manager? I've done that so I can talk about that. Turns out there's a demand for that course out there. So I can do that and I'll never have to update it. So yeah, I'm really trying to focus on things that are technical, but aren't going to go out of date in a month, right? Because so, it is a lot of work to keep up on that. That's very cool. What um, what about support? You mentioned like you know if somebody's not paying that much and you you have to they have a million questions or whatever. Like, how do you think about the support that's that you offer at the price point that you do? Like, what do how do you just how do you how do you frame it in from a customer success standpoint for your students? I mean, obviously, if someone's having trouble, you got to help them, right? So. Um, it's just kind of the cost of doing business. And fortunately, the vast majority of students do not ask questions. A lot of them are just hoarding courses. You know, that's the reality of the matter. They're like, I want to learn this someday. I'm going to buy this for five bucks and tuck it away somewhere. And they never actually look at it. Uh, so the, it still works out economically because there's such a small percentage of students that actually do want some of your time uh, that when they do, even though they only individually paid you, you know, a dollar or so, there's a hundred other students who didn't ask a question at all. So, you know, it, it still works out financially. Uh, but I'm not going to do things like offer, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, consulting or, you know, personal office hours or anything like that, or, you know, working on your project with you or things like that. Um, it just doesn't make sense at that price point. How did you learn like the, the skill of teaching itself? Like, do you have a teaching background or did you have to develop that? Or is it from being a manager or where does where does your instructional design ability come from to take a topic, chunk it down and make it usable by a learner? Yeah, a lot of it uh, does come from being in management. You know, I mean, as a manager, you need to teach people how to do new things. Um, and for a while, I was actually conducting new employee training at Amazon for technical stuff or just introducing people to my organization. Um, but, you know, I do not have a formal education background where I've taken courses on instructional design, but I've read about it. I've talked to people who do know what they're talking about and learn from them. Uh, so I try to, you know, when I do have the opportunity to talk to an actual instructional designer or someone who actually does have an education degree, I soak up whatever I can from their knowledge and try to apply that. But really it just comes down into breaking down these topics into subsections and just trying to chunk it up into easily digestible bits, right? I mean, some of it's just common sense. People have short attention spans, so you don't want videos that are too long. Um, you know, people want to get a lot of value for their money. So comprehensive courses do well, but they need to be organized in such a manner where if somebody's looking for a specific uh, task or to learn a specific thing, they can find it quickly, digest it quickly and go off and apply what they learned. What about like the content itself? Do you use things like worksheets and, or you mentioned code challenges or coding exercises? Like what is there in there besides videos that you found effective? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the course, right? So for the certification prep courses, obviously practice exams are hugely important. You know, they want to take what they've learned. They want to take a practice exam that's as close as possible to the real thing and, you know, gain some confidence that they're going to get through this exam successfully. Uh, for the coding exercises, though, the problem there is that there's not really a standardized platform for doing that, right? So there's a lot of platforms out there that are offering these sort of sandbox environments for executing Python code or, you know, insert your favorite language here. But for things like big data processing or machine learning or deep learning, you need a big expensive cluster in the cloud to really do this stuff. And no one wants to pay for that at $5 per student, right? So the economics again, at that price point don't work out. 
which is another good thing about having your own platform. You know, at some point I could build that out myself, give people access to a sandbox in the cloud and just charge more for it. Uh, but I can't do that on a platform like Udemy. Uh, so instead, I try to give them environments that they can run on their home PC, on their own desktop. You know, I teach them how to set up a virtual environment for running these activities in. And I'll have a video that says, hey, here's your challenge. Go build this thing. Go give it a shot. And then the next video will be, okay, uh, compare it to how I did it. Here's my solution. I'm going to walk you through it. How did that compare to what you did? Do you want to take this further? Here's something else you can do with it. So, you know, it is uh, still video-based, but, you know, I give them a, a lecture on how to set up a development environment on their own to go and experiment and apply what they've learned. Let's shift gears and look at like kind of the business side of it. Is there, how much of your time do you spend on like kind of managing the business of it all in terms of, I don't know, taxes and accounting and all that stuff? Or you try to outsource as much as you can or how does that work for you? Uh, fortunately, the, uh, the accounting arm of Sundog Education is my wife, Carrie. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> once a month, she handles all the, uh, the tax fun and, you know, all the accounting fun. So, you know, I don't worry about that too much. Uh, for the annual taxes, obviously that's a little bit more work. So I get some, some involvement in that and we have, a, we have a team, right? So I actually have a, a CPA in addition to that for actually filing everything and double checking everything. I've got a lawyer for the, the legal stuff that we need to go through and contract reviews. Uh, but yeah, I try to, like I said, focus as much as possible on just creating content myself. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the business side of it's maybe 10% of my time, but I try to outsource the rest of it. So it's no more than that. What about work-life balance and burnout? Have you had any struggles there or not really? Because, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm probably flirting with burnout right now, quite honestly, because I'm in one of these situations where a new version of technology came out and I have to scramble to get a huge course updated to that new version of the technology. And every day that I don't have that out, people are complaining, your course is out of date. You know, I want my money back, right? <laughs> so a lot of pressure there to get a lot of work done really quickly. And, uh, you know, that, that's hard, but. I do try to take care of myself and, um, you know, when this is done, I'm going to give myself a break, you know, take a couple of weeks off, go on a cruise or something and uh, just try to recharge a little bit. Cause after being at Amazon as a manager, you learn really quickly what your limits are and, uh, and what the warning signs are of when you're going to burn out. So don't want to go back there. You know, you got to watch out. You mentioned, um, you know, having to update the course. I know there's not a right answer to this about like how long a course should be or whatever, but just over your career for like a technical course, do they end up being about a certain length of, if you were to add all the videos together to, to make it, or does it really vary based on the topic? It varies based on the topic. Uh, so whenever you're going to start doing a new course, the first thing is to look at the competing courses on the mark in the marketplace that you're on. Right. So in a place like Udemy, where people are paying a fixed amount, pretty much everything's on sale for 10 bucks or 15 bucks. If they have a choice between spending $15 on a 20 hour course versus $15 on a two hour course, they're going to take the 20 hour course because they're just more perceived value there. Right. And even for subscription based offerings, you know, you're getting paid by the minute consumed at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're being paid based on how many minutes of video people watch of your content. So again, it's to your benefit to have long courses because if people are watching a 20 hour course, you're going to get a bigger piece of the pie than if it was a two hour course. Um, so there's a lot of incentives in place right now for courses to be as long as you can reasonably make them. And um, ultimately, you're limited by what you can do personally or what your team can do. So typically, my courses end up between 10 and 20 hours, I'd say, on average. Um, some are shorter. You know, sometimes I'll do these sponsorship deals. Um, this is kind of like a, a thing that started happening in the past year or so, uh, where some company will say, hey, you know, we want to get in front of your audience uh, uh, of students, um, can we like pay you to create a course on our technology? 
And if it's something I would have paid anyway, then sure. You know, usually the economics of that work out to more like a two hour course because, you know, they only have so much money they want to spend on something like that. Um, but you know, it, everyone wins in that case too. You know, it's more content for me that I can, that I can sell, they get their name out there. So, um, yeah, the short answer is it, it depends on the course, on the audience, on the platform, on the topic, anywhere from two to 20 hours. How edited is it? Your, your workflow is it, do you try to get it like one shot, one take, or it's heavily edited? Like where do you sit on the spectrum? Oh, I, it's terrible. I'm editing all over the place, but I have a shortcut. Here's my, here's okay. my secret, my dog clicker here. So okay. um, if I'm blathering about some complex technical thing and I slip up and say the wrong thing, I just hit my clicker there. So then when I go back in to edit it, uh, there's a nice little spike in the waveform there for the audio and say, oh, I screwed up there. I can zip right to it, edit out whatever I messed up and, and get right back to it. So uh, that helps to accelerate the editing a bit. Anyway, I still do my own editing because, you know, I, it's tough to find someone who can do it right for you. And it's not that much work really. So as long as I can make it efficient, it works. That's out. cool. That is a pro tip. Yeah. Um, since we're on the gear, could you just, and you're, you've had a lot of experience, you know, what's the, what are the key pieces of hardware and software that you use as a course creator, mics, cameras, video editing, um, key apps you use or whatever, like what, what can you not live without? Well, the most important thing is my microphone. Uh, front and center here. So, you know, especially with technical courses, a lot of what you're doing are screencasts where you're just, you know, showing people on your screen how to do something and you're just this disembodied voice. So for a typical course, I'm not on camera much at all, really, just for the introductory segments, you know, say, hey, I'm a real person. You should <laughs> like me and, you know, have, you know, like me. So you give me a good review. I'm not a robot. Um, so yeah, it starts with the mic. This is a Shure SM7B um, and it's piped through a cloud lifter preamp device. The thing with these dynamic mics is that they're really, really low signal and you need something to boost them before they actually go into anything else. Uh, so from the cloud lifter, it goes to a blue icicle, which is basically the USB adapter that goes into my computer. So that's the, that's the chain there. Um, I started off with a blue Yeti, like a lot of people do, um, but you know, those condensers are super sensitive. So uh, this sounds better and it doesn't pick up as much noise, which is nice. So that's the audio piece. Um, for software, I use uh, Camtasia mostly. Uh, mostly because they had the big uh, promotion going on back when I started for Udemy instructors. So I got it for cheap back then and I've been using it ever since. Um, it does a job, you know, I mean, I, I would like something that had maybe more modern uh, design elements available, but hey, um, that's not what people are paying for with my courses. They're paying to learn technical stuff. And for video, um, depends what I'm doing. You know, if it's just like me sitting at the screen doing something, then my webcam is good enough, you know, with a green screen behind me. Uh, it's just a Logitech Brio, which is good high definition webcam. Uh, but if I'm actually like, you know, standing in front of a bookshelf or something, trying to look professional, uh, that's when I'll get out my old DSLR camera and uh, take video with that instead with all the, you know, proper lights and whatnot to make it look good. Uh, so yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. We got the mic, got the camera, got the software. That's pretty much all that's required. Camtasia also has a screen recording software that I use as well built in. Very cool. Um, you mentioned uh like if there's a long course you know on udemy people same price same price higher perceived value is is something there how else do you look at differentiation um i'd imagine you have some competitors in big data and uh there's probably new people coming all the time yeah. like how do you compete and stand out 
the way you and I know you have is, a, you have an early advantage of being yeah. there, but you still have to compete. So, oh, absolutely. You know, you still have to create content that's up to date and uh, you know has hands-on activities, so people feel like they're actually getting a chance to apply what they're learning. That alone can be a competitive advantage because so many people just get in front of a camera and you know blather about you know the theory of everything, uh, but they don't give you a chance to practice what you've learned. So, it takes a lot more work to develop a course that has those hands-on activities, but um, you know that's one way that you can differentiate yourself. But the truth is a lot of it really is first mover advantage on these platforms. So uh, the trick really is finding emerging topics that have not been covered by others yet. Uh, and fortunately, what's an example, you know, what's an example of that? Like if you had to pick one out of the air for today, like maybe something with autonomous driving tech or something that's newer. Oh no, that's been beaten to death already. Actually. Okay. So, <laughs> um, you know, an example would be uh, Amazon Web Services coming out with a new exam, right? So um, they actually do have a new one coming out. I forget what it's called. Um, same with CompTIA. They have a couple of new exams coming out as well. Uh, so that's kind of the easiest ones to find. You know, big technology platform is coming out with a new certification exam. You can be the first to create a really good course about it, right? So um, those are probably the best opportunities. But again, those are the topics that require the most ongoing work to keep up to date. Uh, beyond that, you know, think about, uh, you know, what business users need to learn in the workplace and are people filling that need? So I mentioned earlier that uh, the next thing on my plate is a course about transitioning from engineer to technical manager. Surprisingly, there aren't a lot of courses out there on that. You would think there would be, but if you go and research it, there aren't. Um, and that's something that business customers of Udemy are explicitly asking for. So that's another example of maybe an unexpected opportunity that um, people can take advantage of. Since you brought that up and you're talking about working with a team and stuff too, what, uh, what are some of the management lessons that you've learned in terms of, I, I think it's a, it's a wake up call for a lot of people to, you know, go from technical excellence to managing teams. Yeah. So what are some words of wisdom that you could share from your career as a manager? Well, the, yeah. In the context of, you know, making a small business around creating courses, probably the, the most important thing is coming up with, really crisp, concrete definitions and expectations of the work that you're outsourcing to freelancers, right? So um, if you go and say, okay, I want to hire someone on Upwork to help develop my curriculum or to, you know, create this uh, graphic content for my course or whatever, or to edit my videos, if you're not super, super, super specific about what you want, when you want to buy and at what price, it's not going to go well, right? So take the time to really think that through and write it up as thoroughly as possible. You know, you might think to yourself, I'm outsourcing this so I don't have to think about it. I want to spend a lot of time, you know, specifying it, but you're going to be wasting your time at the end of the day if you do not specify that out as, as much as possible and get really clear expectations up front, right? So that's number one, just having clear expectations of people. And that applies to any management situation, right? You know, people need to know what you expect of them and, you know, you need to be giving them constant feedback as to whether or not they're meeting those expectations. So you don't want to surprise anybody at the end of a contract that said, this isn't what I wanted at all. You know, well, why did you tell me that, you know, three weeks ago, you know? So um, at the end of the day, it comes down to communication, right? So, you know, communicating what you want, you know, whether you're getting what you want and uh, what corrective action might need to be taken. Your other uh, evergreen topic that seems to be taken off is interviewing, which I find yeah. interesting. And it seems like a lot of your product market fit has to do with people advancing in their career and getting great jobs. What's the key to a great interview? <laughs> Boy, uh, there's not one answer to that, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But a lot of it is just understanding the corporate culture of the company that you're interviewing with. You know, so yeah. for example, 
if you're interviewing at Amazon, they have a list of leadership principles that are very important to them. For example, being very customer focused. Uh, that's like number one. So if you know that Amazon really values customer centricity, you can use that in your interview answers, right? Like if you're giving a technical question, answer it from the perspective of the customer experience that you're trying to deliver. You know, work backwards from the customer instead of forward from the technology that you want to use. Uh, so that's an example of how you can use that knowledge to your advantage. And, you know, it's all the usual stuff, like, you know, make sure you're rested, you know, fully caffeinated or whatever, and, you know, be happy, smile, you know, don't, don't come across as a jerk. <laughs> um, but really, you know, it comes down to understanding what this company is looking for. And, you know, really appreciating that a lot of the times these company values, they're not just talk, you know, these people who work for these companies are evaluated on how well they embody those values. So they take them very, very, very seriously. And uh, they're going to be looking as to whether you embody those values as well as much as your technical excellence or your qualifications on paper, right? I love that. I was just interviewing somebody for a role. And every time I, I could hear like one of our company values come through in the conversation, I'm like, check, check. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Brand new Udemy instructor. You mentioned, um, you know, look for emerging opportunities that haven't really been covered yet. What other like Udemy tips do you have for somebody who's going to, put some courses up on Udemy and, and they, they haven't done it before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really topic selection is like number one, two, three, four, and five on the <laughs> list. Um, but beyond that, you know, I'd say audio quality is more important than most people realize. So you, and I see a lot of people who just like stick a phone in front of their face and like, you know, hit record and hope for the best. Um, the video might come out. All right. You know, if you got good lighting, but the audio probably not. So the reality is people are going to be listening to you more than they're looking at you especially because they're going to be watching this on a phone most of the time anyway, right? Or even while they're driving or like during their commute. Uh, so think about your audio quality. Think about your presentation skills, you know, like practice those if you need to. You don't want to be using a lot of filler words all the time. You don't want to be, you know, going back. I just did it. I said, you know, that's bad. <laughs> I um, saw it. I didn't know if you caught it, but you caught it. You yeah. caught yourself doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you should, I did it again. <laughs> I'm going to say it all the time now. Um, but yeah, you, you need to just have you know, like a, a good dry run of what you're going to present ahead of time, especially if it's something technical and complex. So don't just turn on the camera and hope for the best. Practice it yourself first. Make sure that you're comfortable with the material. Make sure you are you know what you're going to be presenting and talking about before you hit that record button. Last question for you, Frank. Many people, you know, really aspire as a course creator to end up in a with as much many students, as much revenue as much like freedom, like you mentioned, to move and stuff like that. Um, that's, that's great. And you're a shining example, but how do you, now that you're here and you, you know, you've got some success, how do you think about your future as a course creator? Like what, what's next or what, what's the end goal from here? Gosh, I wish I had long-term goals. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, honestly, I find that you just don't see the best opportunities coming ahead of time. You just have to put yourself out there and, you know, talk to new people and see what comes your way and be willing to try new things. So as far as planning ahead, I don't really do a lot of that. Um, I do plan ahead for, you know, what courses I want to be creating. And as long as there's new opportunities to create new courses that might do well, I'll keep on making them. But, you know, I like where I'm at. I like doing what I'm doing. I like my lifestyle and I'm not out there to create a multi-million dollar company and sell it to some other company and go sit on a beach for the rest of my life. Uh, beaches are kind of boring, quite honestly. So um, I like what I'm doing. I like being productive. I like helping people. I like knowing that I'm helping people find new careers around the world. 
and I can do it all at home on my own schedule. I'm my own boss. What's not to love, right? Why would I want to stop doing that? So my long-term plan is to keep doing this as long as I can. One more follow-up on that is as an expert transition to, well, I guess practitioner to manager to educator, how do you stay current in the field? Yeah, it's not as hard as you might think. Uh, technology changes quickly, but not so quickly that you can't really keep up with it. So the reality is that just teaching this stuff forces you to stay up with it. Mm-hmm. So when I see a new emerging topic that nobody's done before, if it's something that I, I'm pretty sure I could pick up, then I'll go off and learn about it. And nine times out of 10, that's how I stay up to date. If I'm teaching a topic and something new comes up in that topic and that technology that I'm teaching, students are going to complain about it pretty quickly if I'm not covering it and it's out of date. So I'll go off and learn it, right? So just that pressure from the customers to keep your content up to date and accurate all the time, and they'll tell you what topics they want to learn, you know? So just listening to your customers and reacting to that and learning what you need to learn to fill those customer needs. Honestly, I feel like I'm more up to date on technology than I was as a manager at Amazon because at Amazon, I was just laser focused on the technologies we were using at Amazon. But out here in the real world, you know, I'm seeing all the technologies that all these students across the world are being faced with. So it's actually a much broader and more current snapshot into the world of technology being out here on the outside. I love that. I love that. I know there's that saying that to teach something is like true mastery or whatever. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, that's Frank Kane. He's at Sundog Software and Sundog Education. Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you sharing your Udemy journey, your WordPress journey, and, and your expert journey. It's awesome what you've done. And uh, yeah, wish you all the best on the next next decade. Thanks. And thanks for making Lift for LMS. It's been a joy to work with. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. Did you enjoy that episode? Tell your friends and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And I've got a gift for you over at lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Go to lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Keep learning, keep taking action, and I'll see you in the next episode.